Welcome to the Jewish Lives Podcast, a monthly show by Jewish Lives, the prize-winning biography series published by Yale University Press and the Leon D. Black Foundation. I'm your host, Alessandra Wollner. In each episode, we explore the life and legacy of an influential Jewish figure. Today, we're looking at writer and feminist icon, Betty Friedan. In the second part of the show, I'll sit down with Rachel Steyer, author of the new Jewish Lives biography, Betty Friedan, Magnificent Disruptor. If you like what you hear, rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a friendly review. Thank you in advance. You can learn more about our books at jewishlives.org. Join us as we explore the Jewish experience together. In February 1963, Betty Friedan published a book that sent shockwaves through culture, catalyzing second-wave feminism and reshaping the fabric of society. That book was The Feminine Mystique. Feminine Mystique, it defines women solely in terms of her sexual relation to man, as man's sex object, as wife, mother, homemaker, and never in human terms as an individual person, as a human being herself. In her book, Friedan challenged the status quo and dissected the pervasive discontent experienced by many American women in the post-war era. By addressing, quote, the problem that had no name, Friedan shattered the illusion of benign domesticity, inspiring countless women to question their roles and redefine their aspirations. Though a prolific writer, Friedan's influence extended far beyond the page. She co-founded NOW, the National Organization for Women, which continues to fight for women's rights today, emboldening women across the nation to demand equal pay, equal opportunity, and reproductive freedom. Friedan was also the driving force behind the 1970s women's strike for equality, organizing a nationwide demonstration demanding an end to gender-based discrimination. Thousands of women marched, united by Ferdan's resolute vision of a more just society. In Ferdan's lifetime, her advocacy catalyzed crucial legislative changes, including the enactment of Title IX, which prohibited sex-based discrimination in education. Through the feminine mystique and her powerful activism, Betty Ferdan was a trailblazer for gender equality, paving the way for women to continue her righteous work. We are indeed, I believe, on the verge of completing or at least carrying the massive, unfinished revolution for women to achieve full and true equality. Women are right now in this country moving in great leaps beyond the feminine mystique. They must move beyond the feminine mystique. Discover a new portrait of Betty Friedan, the author and activist acclaimed as the mother of second-wave feminism in the Jewish Lives biography, Betty Friedan, Magnificent Disruptor by Rachel Steyer. Save 25% for a limited time only. Use code Friedan at checkout, only at jewishlives.org. 
Rachel Steyer is the author of three previous books, and she's written for The New York Times and The Wall Street Journal, as well as many other publications. She's the founder of the BFA program in Dramaturgy and Dramatic Criticism at DePaul University. Welcome to the Jewish Lives Podcast. Thank you so much. Rachel, I'd love it if you would kick off our interview by reading us a passage from your book that you feel really evokes Betty Friedan. Okay. When Friedan took the podium at the Women's Strike for Equality in 1970, she delivered an electrifying message in her trademark gravelly voice. We tonight become the greatest new force in politics. We learn what none of us dared to hope, the power of our solidarity. She held up men and women. She said that if anything, the enemy was our own lack of confidence and warned of the dangers of sexual politics. According to one reporter, she seemed at times on the verge of tears. Then unexpectedly, she ended by referring to the Jewish morning blessing. In the religion of my ancestors, there was a prayer that Jewish men said every morning. Thank thee, Lord, I was not born a woman, she added. Today, I feel for the first time absolutely sure that all women are going to be able to say, as I say tonight, thank thee, Lord, that I was born a woman. Thank you. Powerful speech and a great segue into my next question, which was about how Ferdinand's experience of Judaism shaped her view of feminism. Yes, um, that's a complex question. Friedan grew up in Peoria, Illinois, a small town about three, I think, three hours south of Chicago by car. Her parents did go to Temple, but they were very interested in um, being assimilated in this in this small town. Uh, they were very concerned um, about their identity as Jews. And Betty herself was the victim of um, anti-Semitism while she was a young person still in Peoria. It would really be many years before she began to talk about herself as as being a Jew. I mean, I have to I have to leap forward past the feminine mystique, past her co-founding now and doing her major political activist work. I have to leap forward to like 1975. Um, when she first uh, went to the International Women's Year Conference in Mexico City and became aware of anti-Semitism in the women's movement. That's when she first uh, began to ident really identify herself as a Jewish feminist. Though interestingly, in the feminine mystique, she does link patriarchy and Judaism in controversial ways, as you write about in the book. And I would love to hear you talk about how she ties those two things. You're referring to chapter 10, in which she compares suburban women to concentration camp victims. And um, that was very controversial. But she also hardly mentions the word Jew or Jewish, the words Jew or Jewish in the book. So what I would say about it is Friedan used a lot of exaggerated language not just limited to that metaphor. What I say in my book is that um, she used this kind of language because um, she, she felt that she could not be heard otherwise. 
Well, let's keep talking about first principles. Um, Ferdan had a charged relationship with her mother, and that also affected and shaped her perspective on feminism. How so? Yes. Well, her mother, Miriam, was very concerned with appearing correct, fitting in, really from childhood. Friedan was was not. She she just hurled herself against her mother's restrictions. But I think throughout her life, there was this ongoing dialogue with her mother and um, trying to, I don't know, overcome whatever her mother had imprinted upon her in her childhood. And interestingly, her mother went on to head the family business after her father died and transcended the feminine mystique kind of before Betty wrote it all out. Yes. I mean, her mother did not live out a life of quiet desperation after Betty left for college, right? The life of, I guess, quiet desperation was happening when Betty was a child in the 30s. Friedan saw her mother as being thwarted, this thwarted figure, a, a figure, you know, a woman of enormous capacity who had not really done anything. But you're correct. That's exactly right. She had she she went on to do a number of things. But for, for Friedan, her image of her mother was always back in that, you know, in the childhood home. You've talked about Smith. So I wanted to ask you how that experience also shaped Friedan, because that was very formative for her. Yes. I mean, she said numerous times throughout her life that it made her not feel like a freak. And so I, I think of, you know, Smith, despite these instances of anti-Semitism that I was mentioning earlier, Smith saved her life in a way because it introduced her to people who were interested in the life of the mind, um, people who were living unconventionally, you know, um, these eminences who were um, in love with literature, in love with radical action. Um, she she certainly became politically radicalized at Smith. And then as an alum, when she administered a survey to fellow alums, that was part of the catalyst for the feminine mystique, ultimately. Yes. Uh, she became interested in doing a survey of her cohort at their 15-year reunion um, to find out what everyone had been up to. And in the backdrop of this was the question of should women be educated, right? Was higher ed good for women or was it a waste of time, which was a conversation that was going on nationally. So Friedan created this survey um, with the help of some others. And the survey was both, um, you know, was personal. It asked these personal questions um, as well as general questions, questions like, you know, do you ever fight with your husband or how often do you fight with him? And then more general questions about, you know, your your happiness in life. Would you have liked to do something else? That kind of thing. I mean, it was, so it was really all about, are you happy with that? Um, and so the findings she used to bolster this idea that it was worthwhile, women's education was worthwhile, um, it was necessary, and the reason it was necessary was so that we could consider women as people. I wanted to ask you about the subtitle of your book, Magnificent Disruptor. Can you tell us about the origins of that moniker? Yes. 
my, a magnificent disruptor uh, is a phrase that was used by Nancy Pelosi um, when Friedan died in 2006 at a um, at a ceremony for her in Washington D.C. I believe, and and so you know, to me, the phrase evokes the necessity of interrupting whatever the flow is to change it, and then magnificent just that there's some kind of uh, grandiosity or even elegance in that action, right? That it's a difficult action, but it's also like somebody has to get out there and do it. And somebody has to get out there and speak in a voice that is very loudly, even if that's unpleasant or difficult or whatever. So after publishing The Feminine Mystique and all that acclaim, Ferdinand did go on to co-found NOW, the National Organization for Women. And that was a big leadership role for her. How did that influence the direction of the feminist movement in the second wave? Oh, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, so the Feminine Mystique was published in 1963. And then Friedan began work on a second book, which was about something that she called the fourth dimension, which was women after the Feminine Mystique. How were they living? The feminine mystique had been criticized by scholars and others for only talking about uh, or largely talking about white housewives, white suburban housewives. Even in 1963, this was a criticism of it. And Friedan heard those criticisms. And in this book that she began to work on, she interviewed women of from all walks of life, all classes, professions, et cetera. And it was a fascinating book. Unfortunately, she did not finish it. Instead, she got wrapped up in activism and in co-founding now. It was a difficult pivot, I would say, from being a writer and a journalist to heading a major political action group or organization. I mean, again, it's hard to think about this today in 2023, but there was nothing like the National Organization for Women. Within that, I think what your question is really asking is, um, how did Friedan do as a leader of this movement? And it was very mixed. On the one hand, what now accomplished in the four years that Friedan was president was amazing, just the number of legislative accomplishments and also the number of symbolic accomplishments because Friedan understood in a kind of genius way importance of symbolic accomplishments like the women's strike for equality, which was essentially symbolic. Friedan was also, and she she said this about herself, she was, she had the temperament of a writer. Um, she was not a great, you know, democratic collaborator. Um, she could be very thin-skinned and very imperious. She was the head of NOW from 1966 to 1970, the president of NOW, and then she stepped down. You know, that was a tumultuous time. Obviously, it was the first four years of this organization. So there were also a lot of growing pains and there was a lot of factionalism. And also the way that now started was one thing. And then the what it became, even within two years, was quite different, right? Because there was a radical feminist contingent and Friedan was very opposed to this contingent. Um, it was mostly based on centering um, identity. And Friedan was just unapologetically and unequivocally opposed to it, even to the point of, I think, what would we would consider today rudeness. I want to rewind you to ask about something you mentioned in that last answer about the women's strike for equality and that 
symbolic victory. And I wanted to ask you to tell us more about Ferdinand's role in making that happen. Yeah. Um, well, so it was 1970, the spring of 1970, and um, she had really already kind of been moved out of now. And so she was headed to the conference, the National Conference of Now. And as she was giving her exit speech, she also announced that there would be the women's strike for equality, which drove a lot of people up the wall because here's this outgoing president, right? And then she's like, oh, and by the way, in three months or four months, whatever, we're putting together this major action, which is, you know, women all over the country are going to go on strike. So, I mean, the first thing was her forcing it onto the agenda, right? That's That was her role and it was forcing it into the agenda. And then becoming very involved in the organizing of it in New York, the New York uh, version of it, and making sure that it was there was a coalition of groups, not just now, but many different groups were involved um, in the Women's Strike for Equality. And then also fundraising for it, um, you know, Free Dan, really believed that uh, it was very important to um, hobnob with, I don't know what to call them, the American aristocracy, because she believed it was important for them to accept this shift in the zeitgeist. She She believed that that was part of how change happened. Some 50 years later, the feminist movement has changed a lot since Friedan was at the helm. And so I'm curious if you see anywhere where her influence does live on. It's really hard, you know, because I think most um, women today, a lot of younger women today don't know who she is. And that's part of what to me is exciting about the book is to be able to talk with women and hopefully ignite a conversation about her. I think that the feminist movement, it feels to me very fragmented. I'm sort of envious, not of Friedan, but maybe of that time when I think there was a real belief in the power of change, that this movement would be able to change things. And to some extent, they have. But then also, if you read the news, to some extent, they haven't. And to some extent, things are being rolled back. Well, let me ask you one more question, which is if you could meet Betty Friedan, is there anything you'd ask her or that you'd want to say? Um, Well, first of all, I'd want to say thank you, you know, for taking risks and encouraging others to take risks. She was asked at the end of her life, what advice would you give young women? And she said, take risks. And I think that is really good advice. Well, thank you, Rachel Steyer, for joining the Jewish Lives podcast to talk about your book, Betty Friedan, Magnificent Disruptor, and congratulations on its publication. Thank you so much. The Jewish Lives podcast is made possible by the Leon D. Black Foundation. Special thanks to our partners at Yale University Press, the Jewish Lives editorial director, Eileen Smith, Series editors Anita Shapira and Stephen J. Zipperstein, managing director Rebecca Keyes, and to Linda Brennan and Ruby Elliott Zuckerman. The Jewish Lives podcast is hosted and produced by me, Alessandra Walner. Our music is composed by Barry J. Cohen. Learn more about our books at jewishlives.org.